Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we'll go back in time to seasons past when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron greatness. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History and its memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network in conjunction with Slick Enterprises. We're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host He's a senior contributing writer To Gridiron Greats Magazine A football yes. historian, Specializing in pre-World War II items In particular Red Grange And also Seattle Seahawk items In particular Steve Largent He hails from Portland, Oregon <laughs> Mr. Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Uh, as always, Captain, humbled to be here. Love it. It still gives me a chuckle to hear uh, Steve Largent, you know, focusing on Steve Largent items. My uh, my Steve Largent collection has become more of a caricature of myself than, than anything really, hasn't it? <laughs> well, one can argue it's an iconic historical collection of Mr. Largent. Yeah, but... I just I spend more time poking fun at myself in my Largent collection. You know, it's like when somebody joins a chat room, like, hey, how's your Largent collection? I mean, I'm not really curious. It's just kind of funny to ask them where it just comes out of the blue. It's like, what? How's my Steve Largent collection? I don't know. It's, it's just kind of funny. It just made me think of it. 
collectors want to know. They want to know about that collection. They're also very, very interested in the Red Grange collection. And uh, just to get a little off of script, I did receive a advanced copy of Chris Willis's new book on Red Grange, which will be reviewed oh, wow. in the fall issue of uh, Gridiron Greats magazine. And I just I Great. just got it uh, yesterday, and I haven't started reading it. But um, I, I looks great. It's a huge book. Um, and Chris, as we know, we've had him on the show a couple of times, yeah. has an incredible, incredible way of uh, telling a story and researching uh, his books. Uh, it's just, it's just an amazing, amazing uh, writer for the football uh, memorabilia hobby and for football history in general. Yeah. So it's, uh, I'm looking forward to reading totally. it. So uh, I, yeah. I was going to mention that, but I, I got it yesterday. Like I said, I, I barely opened it last night, glanced at it, and uh, hopefully over the weekend I'll knock it out and uh, uh, read it. Is it available? So, is it available for purchase yet, Bob? I, I think it might be. I think it's just coming out now, and I do vaguely remember him saying it was sometime in August was the release date. So I normally will get review copies at least a week or two before they're actually out. I have a feeling that's out already, okay. though. So we'll have to check it out. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna contact Chris also, and see if he can come on quick uh, for another show and talk about talk about that book and anything else he's working on. Yeah. And I know you'll. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I'm sure you will give, definitely he, enjoy. He, he he can give us an update on how that Steve Largent book is coming. <laughs> That's the one you should be writing. <laughs> yeah. In your spare time. Restraining order, Bob. Remember restraining order. Um, you, you could you could start sleeping four hours in the morning, get up, and write for two three hours before your day begins. And after about four months of that, you'll be uh, on some island sleeping twenty four hours a day, yeah. seven days a week for a couple of weeks to recover. Yeah. But in any event, I used to get up very yeah, exactly. early. Uh, I I get up normally at five o'clock in the morning, anyways. But I I used to get up at four and write. From roughly four to five, and then get ready and and um, get to work or whatever. But I've stopped doing that lately. Uh, I gotta normally I do that during the winter, springtime, summertime. I prefer being outside and more more active that way. But in any event, yep. uh, we're gonna touch base before our special guest comes on this evening on the continuing issues of the grading scandal problem in the hobby. Sure. Uh, a couple updates, if if there are considered to be updates. Apparently, and to reconfirm what we talked about last week's show, the FBI served a lot of notices, apparently, to dealers, auction houses, uh, about certain cards that were graded, so on and so forth. I've been trying to get more information, and my information is becoming more and more limited other than what I'm reading the couple contacts that I had that were, were trying to fill me in on the story uh, basically don't have any new information other than that. The issue becomes, again, can the hobby accept all these returns, number one? And the second thing, we talked about this briefly last show, what, what happens to all these bad graded cards that have been trimmed and altered? Yep. Do we just put them back in the hobby and say they're trimmed or altered? 
do we discard them? Do we, you know, do we, uh, you know, throw them out? What are, what are we going to do with this stuff? And well, and nobody, you know, leg- yeah. Oh, sorry. And and, and legitimate, legitimately, and, and again, we've talked about this numerous times. Legitimately, how are they not going to find their way back into the hop? So yeah. it's a it's a threefolded problem, and I'll hand off to you now. Well, as you mentioned, you know, PWCC, uh, they've offered to buy some of these cards back. But well, what they won't say is what they're doing with the cards once once they've returned. And I've yet to have someone raise their hand and say they've received a refund from PWCC. PWCC right. says, send us your cards and we'll give you a refund. One, you've got to have proof that it came from, you know, from uh, that submitter, Gary Moser. And two, you've got to have proof that uh, it was, you know, a lower grade that was doctored in some sort. So, I mean, the burden of proof is going on you to prove it. I mean, it should be, you know, hey, that 100% satisfaction, you know, sticker you slap on the side of your uh, on the side of your website and all your listings should be, hey, I'm not happy. I, I suspect this. I, I don't know. It's, uh, but I've yet to see someone or hear someone say they've received a refund. And I, I, I've mentioned before, I've got some trepidations about sending in cards I think have been altered because what if something happens to PWCC? What if the FBI, you know, freezes their assets? What if, you know, I mean, what if they go well, BK, you know, bankrupt? What, what happens? Figure, I mean, I, I agree with you with that. And, and my thinking suspicion is they're going to they're going to be shutting their doors, you know, in a, in a Chapter 7 or Chapter 11 bankruptcy a lot quicker than anybody anticipates. So, again, as we both know, you know, dealing, we both have dealt with bankruptcies in, in past years and past in other in businesses. You know, okay, so we line up as a creditor. I bought $20,000, let's say, of graded cards that were altered from PWCC. They're under now. Now I'm creditor number 341 of all these individuals yeah. in front of me. So on and so forth. Okay, so now I just took twenty thousand dollars and I threw it out the window. Uh, how is yep, that and logical? Yeah, and you're you're and you're out your cards. I mean, uh, right, right. You know, and and here's here's the tough part. If you keep them, and there's a record somewhere of hey, this certification number, uh, we believe is trimmed. Uh, you know, if you sent a card into PWCC and asked for a reholder, you know, and a new cert. I mean, now all of a sudden, you, you, there's a little bit of malice in there, you know. If you know, if you send these cards back to PWCC and they just say to hell with it and they list them, and that's what the word has been is they're just going to relist them with a little disclaimer down at the very bottom, you know. Uh, that's you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure they'll word it like you know this. I don't know, but I mean, these cards will find their way back. Uh, you know, it's. They're being tracked by cert numbers. I mean, unless again PWC sends them to PSA to get reholdered with entirely, if 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 PSA reholders a card for like a grade review, they give it the same uh, the the same cert number. So the the only way to get these you know into a different holder would be to somehow make an arrangement with, P- with PSA to reholder with a different cert number or to crack them, right. throw the flip away, and then send them back in. But then they run the risk of half of them not being holders. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's so that I, I don't know. That, nobody, that, nobody's, nobody said what happens to these cards. Yeah. 
And and I think that is, you know, of the three-folded problem, that's probably going to be the biggest issue down the road. And I'm not talking just now. We're talking three, four years ago, uh, three, four years from now. Okay, so let's say yeah. it takes a good one, one to two years to shake out and actually figure out a plan that's acceptable to the collector who's bought the graded card that is altered and acceptable to the law enforcement officials who are investigating it. And realistically, it has to be acceptable both to PSA, PSA and to any of the auction houses or cart or uh, dealers who are selling this stuff. And again, in, in, in the case of PWCC, I don't see how they were not knowledgeable of what was going on. I, I truly, you know, I can give them all the benefits of the doubt they want. How do you not know you're running a scam like this? This is what I don't understand. Yeah. And they do it so brazenly to, to the point where, okay, you know, so, you know, tough. You, you bought a bad card, and that's your, your tough luck. You know what I mean? What industry, what yeah. business do we know of operates in this manner? I mean, take it, take it as a simple, simplistic as going to a restaurant. You're given a bad, yep. bad dish, and you send it, and 99.9% of the time, you will send it back, and you will get a different dish, or you will get a refund, or whatever the case might be, and it's done. You know what I mean? And uh, it, it's, <laughs> I mean, it just, it just doesn't make sense. And we're talking thousands upon thousands of dollars floating out you know, in the card hobby, and it, it's all questionable. It's all questionable. And that's what I really don't like. <clears throat> and that, then, that's what really bothers me. And then me. suddenly, if, if if you see this card, if I have a card that appears on this list, and I decide not to send it in, but instead I decide to just sell it, to list it on eBay right. or to send it to an auction house, suddenly am I being an a-hole for doing that, for being like, dang it, all right, what? Well, I'd rather just sell this thing than than deal with PWCC or right. you know or PSA. Suddenly, you you know your reputation be at stake. Hey, Joe, did you know that card was on the the, the list? Yeah, I did. Right. I decided to sell it anyways. Well, man, you got to say something. Right. No, not really, because that affects the sale. I don't know. And, and suddenly, a lot of morality is is just at play here. It's just it's tough. It's, well, it's. I've, I've mentioned before, this is just lost. It's made me lose a lot of faith in third-party grading and in uh, and in my beloved Leaf set. I mean, you know, you know, I don't know. Yeah, you know, and, and it's it's ethics with a capital E, and it, it, I'm not seeing it. I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling the love with with all this stuff going on with it. And uh, yeah, I agree. you know, I I I go back. And I, I hate to I hate to say this for the hundredth time, but I'll say it again. You know, I I've been shot down, condemned because I never embraced graded cards when they first came out. I always said, explain to me how somebody who is half my age can grade a card better than me. Not that I wanted to have the grade <laughs> cards. And B, how do you come up with all these different numbers? How do you come up with all these different values? And as graded cards go on, and I use, you know, the only graded cards that I own are the, the Mayos, how can this be an SGC 20 and this one is an SGC 40 when that should be a 20 and this should be a 40? I mean, there's yeah. no logic applied to, to the way anything was graded. And, and again, as now we progress many years into the grading, uh, the grading concept and third-party graders, and they've come and gone – you know where are we now? Okay, now we got a real we got a real bad crisis on our hands. And again, yeah. I you know go I'll go back to the national. I see young kids, you know, young kids, guys, you know, teenagers uh, <laughs> say they're 18, 18 to twenty one, 
and they're plunking a heck of a lot of money down for a graded PSA 9 or PSA 10 card, no matter who it is, what sport, whatever. They're buying it because they want the grade. Okay, so if they ever progress to collecting older cards, are they going to really collect the older cards once all this is is shaken out? You know what I mean? So it, it could have a yeah. serious impact in the, in the hobby to the point they're going to say, hey, listen, I started, you know, I started collecting, let's say, in 2014. I'm only going back to 2014. You know, good. The, the older stuff looks cool, but I don't want to touch it because I don't think it's graded correctly. I think it's bad, so on and so forth. Okay. So what, we're going to have a bunch of 80-year-old guys trying to trade off uh, PSA 7 and 8 leaps that they know were altered or, or trimmed or whatever. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. So it's a problem. It's a big problem. And it's not well, going anywhere. Well, it's it? going away anywhere quick. Three years ago, I wrote an article for Gridiron on doctored cards, a 48 leaf set. Yep. yep. Card doctor's yep. most favorite set. And uh, I knew it was a problem then. But I kind of knew what to look for. And, uh, you know, but it's not me. It's the rest of the hobby. It's the, it's the, I mean, I, right. I mentioned before, there was a guy who bought a PSAA, George Connor, and then bragged to me about it. I'm like, that's trimmed. He's like, what do you mean it's trimmed? It's been graded. And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. There's a lot of people out there who just have that blind faith in the, the TPD. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Yeah, well. You know, and we, we, we see it in graded packs. Um, you know, and or packs that have been, as far as I'm concerned, resealed. And you can tell once you open them, you know, they're bad cards in there. And there's no, no possible way that that card was a, was an actual, uh, that pack was an actual pack from whatever year it was. And, you know, and you proved it with, you know, the, well, how many years ago was it? 65 Philly pack. I knew darn well that was a rewrap. So, I mean, it it was ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so, I gave Bob a 65 Philly. Uh, yeah, yeah, for the listeners, I gave Bob a 65 Philly graded GIA wax pack at the national to open because that was one of his first packs that he opened, and he opened it and yep. he immediately knew that was a resealed pack just because of yep. what was it again, Bob? You told me it was like the way the poster was folded or something. Yep, yep, and um, and you could just tell by the cards how how mm-hmm. those cards should have been. Should have been gem mint, and there should have been a nice piece of bubble gum stuck to that card, that last card, and it wasn't there. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, you could tell that was up. Yeah. But I'm gonna tell our listeners, and I'm also telling our readers, and I I told several privately, we are gonna stay on this issue as much as we can, and any any information we get, we will definitely be sharing it with our, especially on the podcast as we go along, as we find, gain more information. I'm planning to, to, to try to write something for the uh, next issue of GG on this, uh, trying to put it as eloquently as possible and satisfy the legal team uh, how I'm writing it. So uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but in any event, we're going to move on. Uh, we're a couple of minutes behind schedule. Our guest is here, and I'd like to introduce him and start our interview. Our special guest tonight is a huge Tony Dorsett fan from childhood. And he's also a New England Patriots fan. He's retired after 20 years with the Sheriff's Department. He's currently employed at a medium-sized group industrial chemical company and has earned himself the nickname of all-purpose running back. Tom Brady and James White are his favorite Patriots. He hails from Newberry, Massachusetts. I'd like to introduce to our show Mr. Paul Perkins. Paul, 
Welcome to the show. Captain, how are you? And Admiral Joe, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I, I figured I'd I like throw the Admiral uh, tag out there, Joe. I remember your uh, big <laughs> Hall of Fame rookie set. That was the Admiral set, so I wanted to give good credit to you, sir. Was indeed. That was a nod to my uh, my Navy days when I was in the Navy. That's a great memory, <laughs> Paul. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for your service. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You guys are doing a great job with the show so far. I enjoyed listening to what you had to say. It was um, oh, always thanks. good to keep on top of things that are going on in the hobby. I really enjoyed that, so I thank you. Well, we got a, we got a serious crisis, and, uh, you know, I'm not taking it lightly. And, uh, you know, as I, I've said numerous times, I know I'm a dinosaur in the hobby, but you know what? This was totally uncalled for, and and it's 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 not good for the hobby. I don't care how how anybody can twist it. You know, being a positive, yeah, yeah we could say it's positive. We're going to get these bad cards out of the market. Well, why did the bad cards come into the market in the first place? Yeah, because of profit. You that know, simple. You know, I, I I want to correct that. I think we've had, uh, a, you know, we've had something bad in the hobby for a long time. I mean, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I wrote, yeah, like I said, yeah. I wrote an article about this three years ago. We've had it. Uh, I think yeah. a lot of us have kind of buried our head in the sand or said, it's not me who's buying those crappy cards. It's somebody else. Um, and now we're just now we're just now realizing the magnitude of it with the shill bidding, with the, you know, with resubs, with money being passed to graders. I really hope this doesn't go away anytime soon. I, I really hope some people end up in jail over this or being fined or being banned from the hobby. I, yeah. I, yeah. I really hope this one, you know, doesn't die in the wind. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. It's a, it's a bad situation. It's really bad, but we're going to change the subject and talk about some fun stuff now. And Paul, I'm going to ask you, how'd you get started football. collecting football cards? And in particular, your, uh, your collection. Well, the uh, you know the main uh, thing that drew me into the the football cards was the love of football. You know, twenty four seven, three sixty five. I'm loving football as well. Uh, <laughs> so it's uh, that's that really is what drew me in the love of football. And as a kid, I had a bunch of uh, Tony Dorsett cards. And as much as I love Tony Dorsett and you know the other players that I would have from the mid seventies, early eighties. Um, you know, I, I, I loved, I liked them and, uh, you know, I enjoyed looking at them and all that. And it wasn't until, you know, we're talking back before the internet. So I really, my access to stuff was very limited. Um, and I went to my first card show and looking around and I happened to come across a guy who was selling some football and I looked down and I, and I saw this little square box of a card with the last name of Trippy on it. And I'm like, oh, that's an odd name, but I love the artwork on it. And I went over and I asked the guy, is this guy good? And, you know, he's telling me he's a Hall of Famer. So I'm like, wow, I really like that. And uh, then the next card I picked up was uh, a, a guy with, by the name of George Gulianix. And I was just like, wow, these. They, they, I was very curious about these uncommon last names on these cards, but even more so the artwork. And, um, you know, I, I started just really going through them, and I'm like, wow, these are gorgeous little paintings of cards. Um, huh. 
So that's pretty much how it happened right there. I ended up buying a handful of cards, and I ended up uh, being hooked. How old were you there? Um, I was I was just about I would say about twenty four twenty five years old. I had gotten out wow. of the hobby for a while, and I started getting back into baseball cards. And until I I didn't realize the you know these gorgeous Bowman football existed, so I I ended up bumping into them by accident at the show. And uh, I just I fell in love with them. I mean, they, the, uh, the the all the Bowman sets, they're the colorful, you know, they're like little oil paintings, I think. And uh, just they're really they're just the most beautiful cards I feel. Wow. The, the forty-eight yeah, Bowman is pictures. I, I assume it was uh, a later Bowman issue. Uh, which, which Bowman did you fall in love with? Uh, you know, the well, the trippy. Yeah, yeah. Go the for trippy it. Go was for it. A, that's the card that I that I originally uh, had bought. But at the same time, when I was at the show, I looked over and there was this another card, and it happened to be uh, of Deacon Dan Towler, and it was a, a much larger card. And uh, as you know, I, I found out it was called the 1952 Bowman Lodge football. Yeah. And I, I'm holding this card as we speak right now, Deacon Dan Towler, and I picked this card up. My first. Uh, Bowman Lodge, I picked up back around 1994, 1995, and I still have wow. it to this day. It's uh, my favorite card that I've ever bought. We heard you tap it uh, on the, the table, so we assume it's in a plastic tomb. It's graded. It, it, uh, well, it's not graded. I never got the card graded. I wanted to keep it in a top uh, loader, and um, that way I could it. take it out, enjoy it when I want, you know. Eventually, I did some more research, and, you know, fast forward a few years, uh, you know, the Internet started coming around. I was able to start looking looking more into, you know, the sets and stuff, and I, I really started um, – I, I, it was a toss-up with me on which one was my favorite, so I decided I just loved them all. The 50, 51, and 52 Bowman sets, I, I feel it's like the best three-year run of football cards ever in the, mm-hmm. out of all the, um, the years of football production. I feel those three are my favorites. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, one thing, the one thing with the Bowmans, that I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of collectors don't realize all the different differences in the card sets from 48 to 55. For example... Right off the top, there's no 1949 set. Why? Okay, 1948, black and white photographs. 1950, they start the paintings. They start doing the drawings. 1950, yes. one, a different size than 48 and 50. 1952, two, two different sizes. The same size as the 51 Bowman set, and now a bigger card. And then 53, 54, and 55, classic, vintage, you know, 1950s-type football cards. With, with, you know, beautiful pictures, very interesting write-ups uh, at the time also. So that, that, to me, the Bowman run from 48 to 55 really gave you so many different things to look at, so many different areas to collect. It, it's, it, it is really a pure, a pure run of football cards. I, I, I've, I've always said that. I've always said that. Yeah, I just gotta the, get my, you know, uh, you have many different options. You know, you have the black and white with the 48. Uh, you have the yep. the smaller cards with the 1950 and 51. And and in, for the 1952 set, you have the the smaller 
um, size and the larger size. And then moving on past that to the 53 and 54, you have great vintage photography. Um, although yep. I don't feel yep. that the 54 set is right. one of their better efforts, but I, I, I do feel that it's worth a mention that it, you know, it does have a vintage look to it. Um, and then rounding it off for their last year at 1955. Uh, but, you know, the cards, I really, I love them all. Um, I, I got to say my biggest complaint and disappointment uh, lies with the 52 Bowman Lodge. It is my favorite set. And it, it's very upsetting to me that um, Deke, uh, Dick Night Train Lane, Marion Motley, and uh, Max Speedy, three you know iconic 1950s players uh didn't make their way into that set and it's uh it's really it's been a a thorn in my side knowing that since i've started collecting mm-hmm. the set oh yeah you know it's, why it's, why it's is shame, uh why is don hudson not in the 35 chickle set there's a lot of little ones like that uh yeah i've heard bowman you know 1948 they went head to head with leaf uh and it pretty much knocked leaf out of the contention. Uh, obviously, you take the 49 leaf. It was, uh, you know, skip numbered, used the same photos, gray card stock, which was left over from 48. Because you'll find a lot of, you know, you'll find these, you know, older, you'll, you'll find a few gray card stock 48 leaf cards. Uh, so you can tell that they had the gray card stock, you know, for a late print run of 48 leaf. So Bowman took enough enough market share away from Leaf that Leaf limped out in 49 with something. Uh, I've heard they actually agreed. Leaf said they would go out of business. They would fold in 49 if Bowman didn't compete with them. But by mm-hmm. the time they were done, Leaf didn't have the, have the money to fight, have to have the money to carry on. So, And then Bowman took over. And then same yeah. thing, yeah. Tops in 1955. Yeah. Tops put out the 1955 to try and dominate you know, dominate the market, and they took enough market share. Bowman folded in '55, and Tops took over. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of um, that. You know, I've always thought. I mean, there's been a lot of good information about the uh, the early Bowman football cards, and you know, and write ups by experienced collectors and stuff. But I, I often wonder how much you know really concrete information is out there. Um, like I have a lot of questions. Um, I, I find it kind of, you know, interesting on some of the player selection for that. The 52 Bowman Lodge, um, the college to pro, they have a lot of college football players in there that were high draft picks. Um, but I, you know, I'm sorry, like, you know, like seventh and eighth round picks in the draft and never even played a full season yet they have a uh you know a card in the set and you never can really find out too much information about them you know and it's just kind of odd how they threw to get threw together some of the names for that set that's interesting i never thought about that that's interesting but yeah hey quick question uh first of all paul i gotta ask do i have an accent to you do i talk funny just curious I would say you talk differently than uh, the people that I'm used to being in the Boston area, but uh, no, I, Joe, I think you're very well spoken. <laughs> I don't, I don't hear any accent in your voice. No, I do not. Paul, Paul says we're basically na- we're, we're basically neighbors, one state over. I'm very used to the uh, the Boston accent, so it's very it's so very common to me. So to me, you, you talk normal. 
And Joe talks yeah. differently because he's a West Coaster there, so that's the difference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, Bob, I, I don't hear any Boston in this, and I, and I know, I'm well aware that I'm the one with the accent. That's for sure. <laughs> Bob, I thought I thought you were I thought you were going to say uh, I thought you were going to say you get used to my sarcastic, you know, my sarcastic uh, you know, outlook on things. You're always, you've been always uh, very uh, sarcastic, but in a, in, a, in a good, fun way, I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm, used to I'm glad that makes its way. Yeah. For many years we've been doing this. So. Yeah, I'm, this sure you have Captain, I'm sure you have to have thick skin being around Big Joe. <laughs> and Paul, by the way, I I always gravitated to you. You were one of those cool dudes on the CU boards who just had a sense of humor and and I could joke around with. I, I just really enjoy people that I can throw a joke out there and they immediately don't get offended. If, if I say something and it can be taken <laughs> as funny or an insult and the assumption is Joe's being funny, that, that 99% of the time that's the way I'm going to go. If I'm going to insult you, I'm going to be pretty upfront about it. So, I mean, I just, yeah. I've always appreciated yeah. people who have a good sense of humor and intelligent <laughs> sense of humor like you. So, I've just, I've always well, got I, that, that's that's very very much appreciated, and you know, and Joe, that's the thing. I get onto the CU boards, and you know, when I I, I focus my attention to my card collecting, um, you know, it's all about fun and relaxation for me. You know, um, yeah. that that's what the hobby's all about, and the more interaction you have with people, especially guys like yourself and Captain and other you know really passionate people, I I think that it's overall it's it's a better camaraderie inside the the vintage football community, which, you know, we all know is not as um, in-depth and as popular as uh, a lot of the baseball guys, you know, but we're, uh, I think we got a great group. And, you know, I I think that the future's looking bright for the vintage football. I really do. All right, let's get back to talking cods. All right. Yeah, and yeah I was making fun of Drax. You know, and I, I'm a I'm an avid Bowman collector. I've I've uh, completed the 48, the 50, the 52 small, and uh, the 54 and 55. I, I completely agree with you. Bowman started mailing it in around 54, 55. I'll admit my favorite set is probably the 53. I really like the artwork in there, uh, but. You know, I like asking about you know what your favorite card in each set is and what the hardest card to to collect in each set was. I mean, I had my own tough ones. I I know the I know the expensive ones. I'm just curious to get your take on it. Which ones are your favorite and which ones were the hardest? Well, the I'll tell you. So my main focus is like I've been collecting the 50, 51, and 52, and I'm going to tell you about the 1950 uh, set first is um, a quote that I got from you. I think you called it the uh, the bottom of the cleat set. Um, you referred to that a couple times because there's a couple cards in there where you're looking at the bottom of the cleats. And I'll tell you, I think there's three, several cards in the set that you can see the bottom of these guys' cleats. And I'm looking at both of them right now that two of them that are my favorite from the 50s set. It's what is the, it? Hang on. The let, me, let me guess Davis that. Glenn Army and the uh, Tank Glenn Army Davis and yeah. Tank Younger. Tank Younger is my favorite. It's got the flagpole in the background. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going is just such a great card too. And you know, it, it's it's no secret that they just they're both uh, Los Angeles Rams players. And I and I just I I can't tell you how much I just I love those Rams uniforms in the early '50s. They just they really mm-hmm. just they, mm-hmm. they burst with color. Um, so those two, by far and away, are my favorite from the 1950. Mentioning uh, one other card I, I really like hey, as well, hey, and hey, not Paul, many people. Paul, huh? Paul, real quick, I want to give credit where credit's due on that bottom of the cleats thing. Mike Thomas at Near Mint, Near Mint is originally the guy who pointed it out to me. I believe at a card show. I can't remember, but he's the one who said. You know, I I love that, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I remember going through and looking at, it, I'm like, well, there's a couple in here. Couple, you know, yeah. So I, as much as as much as I love that bottom of you know bottom of the cleat quote, you know, I I picked it up and ran with it to Mike. So. <laughs> All right. Well, that 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 came from good company. I, you know, Mike Thomas. Uh, I haven't really spoken with him too much, but he's done a, a wonderful job with his website and his write-ups on his cards. He's a very knowledgeable guy yeah. and comes up with some fun stuff. I, I've I've seen you know yeah. him in action a few times on the message boards. Uh, another card. I don't know if many people actually have ever even heard of this guy from the Dallas Texans, um, uh, John Roch. And if you ever get a chance to take a look at his 50 Bowman card, he's wearing a white jersey with number 18, and he, and he looks just like Peyton Manning. So it's, yes. it's a kind oh, of yeah, 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 a funny yeah. card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Great I know, call. I know what you're talking about, yeah. yeah. Definitely looks um, like him. Oh. Outstanding. That's a great call. Funny. So, uh, and then, you know, going to the, uh, the 51 set, um, you know, my favorite is I, I got a p- couple that I would have to say my favorite again. And this time it happens to be, uh, the, the, uh, the Redskins uniforms really pop on these cards too. And I, I'd have to say my, the Sammy Boss by far my favorite from the 51 set, um, yeah. You know, it's just a, a classic uh, pose of slinging Sammy Baugh. It's just a great with the stadium seating in the background. It's just a great, great setup of a card. Um, and then I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you're familiar with this one. The Visco Gergich looks like it's a pretty exciting card. He's just this <laughs> menacing rush towards making a tackle or a hit on somebody. And that's just that, you know, those, I would say those two stick out as my favorite from the 51 set. Um, nice. And then, uh, you know, moving on to the 52 Bowman Lodge, it's, uh, you know, th- this set has so many favorites in it of mine. It, it's really difficult to iron it down to what I would consider my favorite. But, I mean, you, you know, the NFL Hall of Fame rookie himself, uh, Frank Gifford, that, that card is, to me, oh, is just, it, it just exemplifies vintage 1950s football, you know. It's just such mm-hmm. a gorgeous, gorgeous card. You know, then you got the the bookend of Norman Van Brocklin, the first card in the set. That's another favorite of mine. And going back again in Los Angeles Rams uniform. So, um, you know, the artwork is just really beautiful in all these cards. I, I, yeah. I really do. I, I love them. I can't say enough about them. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the 52s, the Lodge is what I, I have, I'm sure most people agree, is definitely what I, I believe to be the most difficult set to put together um you know asking you guys uh who are definitely more knowledgeable than me the there is 
I've read several times that the 52 small is actually more difficult to put together, but uh, and I've never pursued that, so I can't really comment on it one way or the other. Yeah, the 52 small, well, the so they're they're short printed. The the card's divisible by nine, and then nine minus one. So card not eight nine, card 17 and 18, you know, card 26 27. Those are tough. Uh, in large and small, but if you get into the short, if you get into the smalls, the 52 smalls, the uh, the second series, the sheet number two, uh, you know, 52 small short prints, you know, divisible nines get really, really hard. Uh, yeah. 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 So it, it's it, it's less collected, but a lot lot more tough cards, the short prints. Yeah, I, I've always, I start, uh, I, you know, I, like I said, I, I've always focused on the large, um, the larger cards, and you know, there are just some bears in that set. I got to tell you, you know, like the Gene Ronzani, Hubert Johnsons of the of the of that set. Um, that you know, the Jim Lansford is probably the most that was card always, you know, yeah, always talked about as being the um, you know a, a legendary tough card in the hobby. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, I, I, I think some other cards give it a run for its money in the set. I mean, you know, Joe Steidehar is that, that's a NFL hall of fame rookie right there. And that, that's short no print. slouch as a short print card either, you know, and a short print, the, the Lansford, the 144 Lansford is a divisible by nine minus one. And it's the last card. It's a corner. It's a corner, uh, you know, on the sheet and, you know, and you, you know, I'm sure when you were growing up, I mean, we used to rubber band our cards together, and most oh, kids yeah. would put them in numerical order. So if you put a rubber band on the back card, the Lansford gets yep. damaged. So short yep. print, corner sheet, likely to get dinged, and last card in the set, you know, uh, you know, for rubber bands. I mean, it, it, all of the the formulas there, you know, for it to be yeah, a very right. rare yes, card. Yeah. yeah. I started and stopped that 52 Bowman large set like three different occasions, sold, sold off everything I had two times, started collecting it again in earnest probably about seven, eight years ago, then I stopped again, and uh, I, I'm nowhere near even halfway through the set. It's just, it's just a tough set, and, and, it, and to me, you know, uh, collecting it raw, I don't have a problem collecting it raw, but, the, you know, you got two big cards in there, they're going to, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars, even if they're in lesser condition, you know what I mean? So um, I got the 52 yeah. small set, and to me that was back when back when I was collecting it years ago. I really, I basically just hey. saw all the 52 smalls. I rarely saw any larges out there. So it's interesting. Hey, Paul, quick question here. Uh, like for me, collecting the 50 Bowman, the uh, the number 100 Sammy Baugh was the last card I got, mostly because I just wanted it to be in good quality. But card number one, the Doak Walker, is pretty much mm-hmm. the tough card it's to get in that did, did you agree because there are a lot of people who think that's his rookie card because the 48 leaf you know card of doak walker is him in a college uniform did you have problems with that right. one? yeah i you know what i gotta tell you joe i i have i have not ever owned the 50 doak walker um so i i really can't say that i have since i haven't owned it um you know, I my main focus has always been the 52 Bowman Lodge. The 50s, I will grab a few Got of it. them here and there. I just I haven't collected this, tried, attempted to put together the set, but I have absolutely heard a lot of people talk about that dope being very difficult for sure. 
Um, yeah, it is. You know, it is. You know, but in the, the NFL, uh, the Rookie Hall of Fame set uh, on for the PSA set registry, they recognize the 48 Leaf Walker as his rookie, correct? Yes. They do. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, again, that has the uh, it's the number one card and in the set, and that's always uh, a tough. Uh, tough card to get in decent condition but i haven't really yeah. even seen any i know that they use the same you know if i can just skip the, around a little bit here on this um i find it funny that that dope one thing about the the dope that dope walker and several other cards is the that dope walker uh for the 1950 they use that picture again in the 1952 Bowman Lodge I think they just kind of blew it up a little bit would you agree <laughs> with that <laughs> yeah but uh I'm yeah so sure I, uh, again Ron, like I said these uh, all these cards they have they have a lot to offer um there's they're just the most beautiful sets in my opinion and I just I really enjoy collecting them they're a lot of fun do you collect anything else from football cards or football memorabilia besides that the, you know, it's um, the one thing that I am I'm very big on is I love uh, vintage sport magazines and uh, football yearbooks. Um, I, I really like picking up old magazines from this time frame. And um, what I find really good is that sometimes you get you get really some good articles on the lesser-known players that were seemed to get, have a little bit more popularity at that time, um, and you get you get to read a lot of information on them. I, I have one uh, sport magazine that, and of course, you know Bob Waterfield is a you know Hall of Famer, but um, I, I have one article in there that that's six pages of all stuff on, uh, you know, an interview and stuff done with Bob Waterfield. And, I, and it's just the information that you can find in the vintage magazines, in my opinion, is, is, is it's so great. I, that's why I collect them and I love to read them. But that's that's about as far as I go. I, I, I'm really, my focus is mainly on the cards and the magazines. Those are the two things that I get the most enjoyment out of. And I'll tell you, that's a, that's a classic error for sports writing. And just to see, like I, and I do agree with you 100%, the information there that's, that was written about a lot of obscure players, the team, so on and so forth, you don't see it anywhere. And yeah. it, it's, it's, you know, you're reading the history of the game, basically. You know, when you pick yeah, up an old, totally. Smith's, an old sport magazine, or the old true yearbooks, football, uh, illustrated annual football magazines, there's so many, you know, good older magazines out there, Sports Life, um, Sports Stars. There was great articles. In them. I, I truly love, always love those types of publications, and I, I've read and reread them many, many times over the years. And, you know, honestly, they are very difficult to come by. I, I don't care what anybody says. Um, I, in fact, I had a few uh, publications from the 60s at the National this past uh, summer, and uh, I had one guy – he basically said there was only a handful of dealers at the show that actually had older publications, and uh, you know he really had to hunt for what he was looking for. 
So that's I, yeah, I have mm-hmm. trouble finding them on eBay, honestly. And eBay oh, is, yeah. you know, yeah. such a wide marketplace. Um, it's, it's, yeah, they, I agree with you. Absolutely agree with you that they're, uh, they are very difficult to come by. And uh, you know, and I'm not even looking for, you know, great condition. I just want readable with, you know, right. fairly right. decent covers. And they, they are tough to come by. It's a very good point. And the yeah. other thing too, uh, media guides. Um, you know, there were there were media guides at the time. They're they're truly difficult to find. Um, you know, and and if you do find them, uh, you know, they are they are being sold at a at a much higher value today than they were ten fifteen years ago. And uh, but again, the information there is just incredible. I got a, I got a handful of Bears uh, media guides from the fifties, and they, I mean they're fascinating reads. I mean they're classic classic football history you're reading that's great information they're they're really good and one other thing i'll say is back in you know in the early 50s and whatnot around that time period you know the the college game was covered just as much as the nfl with these players like the college players had just as much hype i think and you know we all know that going from college to pro a lot of times you don't really make it so but some of these guys find their way find their names on these cards that we collect and you might not read much about them in the nfl history part of it but you might find a decent article on them them covering the the sports you know college right. football game back then too so it's there's a wide right. wide many angles that you can find some fun stuff in there yeah yeah i agree another another quick question there Bert dog uh, i mean you're you're ex-prison guard i mean i remember you know exchanging stories with you private messages yeah. you have any uh any adventures in obtaining cards for your collection i mean did you ever guard Mastro or Doug Allen while you were a guard, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, you know, I wish I could, uh, you know, I wish I could come up with a, a you know, a great story, um, you know, because it's funny because a lot of guys coming from law enforcement, the stories start off small and they get up to be mountain-sized long say- after they retired. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, oh. I don't have, I can't relate to anything um, as far as those fellows are concerned, but um, oh, you know, you the, the story. Law, uh, law I, I can't really. Huh? Did you say I'm law sorry, enforcement? Joe? Is that spelled? Did you say law enforcement? Is that spelled L A W R? L A law enforcement. Hit me on that accent again, yes. But. Um, <laughs> It, you know, I, I got to tell you though, that, you know, every time I um, I go to a football show, that that's my uh, you know my football card show, whatever. That that's yeah. my adventure right there. Because um, you never know what you're gonna find at a show. Um, you know, and, and just the, the, with the relations that you build with other uh, collectors and and talk with on, you know, VFC. I, I met. I'm sure you guys know Eric Stang. He's a he's a great guy. Goes to all the events and, um, you know, yeah. he one of my the most difficult cards that I've been trying to find for a long time is a '52 Bowman Lodge Charlie Connolly, and uh, huh. I'm happy to say that I actually sent the payment for the card today, a couple hours before I got on the phone with you. Um, Eric made a contact at the National and was so good to give me the guy's email, so I started exchanging emails with this guy out in Minnesota who I would never have known, and 
And uh, yeah. lo and behold, he had my uh, 52 Bowman Lodge, Charlie Connolly, so I was able to pick it up today. So that's my latest adventure in finding a card that I really right wanted. On. And, um, you know, I'm really pleased, i, I got to tell you. Right on. Eric's classy guy. We had dinner with him in uh, Cleveland, didn't we, Bob? You know, that group at that football dinner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I met Eric at a, a show in Massachusetts here a couple uh, back in the oh, fall. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, he really is. Yeah. He's a great guy. He's uh, got a lot of good energy about him, and he's always looking to help people out. It's, he, he's an asset to the hobby, that's for sure. Good. Yeah, actually, that that was the um, our Thursday night dinner in Cleveland last year, and uh, he came yeah. and yeah, Joe, you had your had your son and uh, got introduced to him. So uh, yeah, he's a he's a great guy, very great asset to the hobby. I got to just as an aside, um, he picked up a ton of Viking uh, player photos at the national. And uh, we had some time, so he showed me them. And there were several I had never even, never even knew existed as far as sizing was concerned and print on them. So I found them to be, um, be amazing. And I always, I always tell collectors that's a long overlooked part of our hobby: individual player photos, team issued, and team, um, team photos, team issued. Uh, great additions to that to your collection if if there ever was uh, any. Uh, but he his collection of Viking stuff is just amazing. And again, a couple of issues ago, we we had the interview with the gal who runs the uh, Vikings Museum uh, at the stadium there, and those are interesting to see and, and and talk about at the same time. And I do agree with you, Paul. You never know when you're going to see at a show, and that's why I like shows to yeah. this day. And I, I've yeah, been on the shows. Yeah, there's a lot. They have lots off of the you know the it's like always a fun adventure for me. Absolutely. Right on. Well, I, got, I, got, I got to ask. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, I was going to say I threw together a quick quiz for you if you have time, but uh, we have you know, we have one more question, Bob. Uh, I think well, we do. Yeah. Let's do let's do the quiz first, and then I'll wrap it up with uh, my final question. There. I know you like quizzes. All right. So. Well, Paul, we've reached the uh, spot in the podcast where we have Joe's quiz. Uh, okay. Just, uh, <laughs> so don't be nervous. And just answer from the heart. Uh, okay. Usually, okay. I compare somebody's. You know, you're 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 an unshy, you know, Patriots fan. I'm, I'm, yes. You know, and I got to tip yeah. my hat to the Patsies. Uh, I I love dynasties. So just uh, just answer from the heart here. All right, ready? Just it's multiple. You know, it's just a uh, choice A or choice B. Who's the better quarterback, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson? Tom Brady. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you that one. I'm gonna give you that one just because just because Russell's on the upswing of his career. Okay. <laughs> give Russell a few more years though. Give him give him a few more years. All right. Question number two: Edelman or Steve Largent? Oh, Joe, that is that you know that's a tough <laughs> question right there. Uh, you know, uh, all you have to do is, I, I'm gonna tell you, to you right Steve. now. I'm gonna give it to Steve hey, Largent oh. and and. The reason why Steve Lodgins, you know, his accomplishments speak for themselves. I mean, he's a he's a Hall of Famer. Um, yep. You know, I'll give it to Steve Lodgins overall, but I can tell you right now, to be fair to myself and what I really believe, um, 
if I was going to have a wide receiver start for my team today, it would be Julian Edelman. <laughs> well, of course. Steve Large and <laughs> you know, 60. He, Large has been retired for a long time, right? <laughs> yeah. No, but you summed it up perfectly there. Hall of Fame. Only one yeah. of those is in the Hall of Fame. All right. And you can't take Better that defense. away from anyone. Yeah, except O.J. Simpson. Okay. Fair enough. Second question. <laughs> Better defensive back, David Butler or Cam Chancellor? I'm going with Cam Chancellor. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's the heart and soul of the Legion of Boom. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. All right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cam Chancellor, yeah. he absolutely has my respect as a uh, player. Absolutely. You know you know your football. <laughs> I like it. Okay. In that in that horrible, horrible Super Bowl against the Seahawks and Patriots. Bad call should have run beast mode or just a great defensive play. You know, it's honestly, Joe, we're we're going 50-50 on that. I I have to say um, there was absolutely zero reason not to run Marshawn Lynch in that that game. I mean, I had the game lost, and then, you know, Russell – Drop back and threw that pass, and you know it was a, it was you saw the game. It was a great defensive play. So I, you know, honestly, I can't. I don't think you can. I, I would say sixty percent bad call, forty percent great play. How's that? See, and I would flip that. I I always I always give credit where credit's due. That was great defense. That's a, that's a defensive coordinator watching. You know, knowing a team loves that slant in, inside the five yard line. Um, you know, blah blah blah. If they even would have had Marshawn in on the play, he was on the sidelines. That's a little bit of ego got in there. Yeah. I'd say it was 70 percent great defense, and thirty percent, hey man, just just run it right down the gut. Stop us if you can. Well, you up. know, I, I think if you ask a hundred people or a thousand people. If they would have thrown it or run Marshawn Lynch there, oh, yeah. less than one percent is going to say, "Oh no, I would have thrown it." You know that that's oh, yeah. kind of uh, why uh, I, I, it was just such an epic bad call, in my uh, opinion. But, without know, a if doubt, if it worked, All I right. guess okay. we wouldn't be talking about it. All right. Okay. Last well, question. Okay. Oh, last question. Sorry, sorry, Captain. So, hoodie right. or Vince Lombardi? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with Vince Lombardi. I think Bill Belichick has done a lot of good things, obviously, but I think he's held Tom Brady back a few times over his career. Vince Lombardi. <laughs> All right. The argument you just made the captain happy. You made the captain happy. All right, we're, Very we're good. Running, That's all I got, Bob. We're, we're running out of time, Paul. In 60 seconds or less, any advice for a bidding, beginning collector of football cards? Yes, uh, focus on what you want to do and become educated on a lot of the things that are going on in the hobby before you start slapping those greenbacks down. You know, that's that's it right there. Get educated, stay focused, and there's no rules to it. Do what you enjoy and what you like. That's the fun of the hobby. That's great. Paul, thank you for being on the show. We're, we're, we've got less than two minutes uh what a pleasure, and what a great collection you got. And I, I got to uh, – we'll get together somehow at our Shriner show, or we're going to have a get-together here at the compound and uh, invite the East Coast guys here. So 
should be very I'd interesting. I'd love to. Thanks and listen, guys, it was an honor to be on your show. I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, you guys are great. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. Right on. Good to have you on. Thank you. All right, we got, we're down to about a minute, Joe. Real quick, two-minute uh, warning and wrap-up. What did you learn on tonight's show in 25 seconds? I learned that I, I learned I can tolerate a Boston accent, but that doesn't mean I have to live with it. <laughs> then you're not you're, you're, you're going to have kidding. a tough time living. I'm on just your kidding. Show, so. <laughs> That's a good one. No, I That's used a to. Good one. No, I used to. I used to work with a guy from Boston, so I'm used to it. It's cool. Paul's that classic Boston guy, just a good disposition. I like him. Yeah, those good, and, and I like. I like the enthusiasm he brings to the hobby as far as collecting. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I can I can picture Paul at home studying the fronts and the backs of the cards and comparing them from year to year in his Bowman run. And, and that's cool. That's what the hobby's all about. You know, it's, it's not on how, it. much yep. just, how much flat plastic you can stack in, uh, in one room of the house type of thing. You know, enjoy the collection. Look at the cards. Touch them. Feel them. You know, it, it, it's, it's history you're touching. It's history that you're reading about, you're studying – and that's what it's all about. All right, we're almost out of time. Thanks for listening. If uh, are you looking to subscribe or any back issues of Gridiron Greats Magazine, please check out our website, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. Hopefully next week we're going to have one, one more show for August. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Joe. We'll be talking. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.